Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. I met Jesus in a youth ministry in 1995. I met my wife in a youth ministry in 1996. I received my call into ministry on a dirt soccer field in Mexicali, Mexico in 2001. I was a volunteer in this youth ministry and we took 200 high school students for, to Mexico for a spring break missions trip. It was 100 degrees outside and we were playing soccer with about 50 little boys and girls and I'm at midfield and I'm kind of watching these teenage gringos just laugh and play with these kids. And this junior high kid named Luke from Kasner Intermediate uh, kind of ran by me with this Mexican boy on his shoulders and he turned to me, mouth wide open from exhaustion and laughter, and he says, this is awesome. And I could see that he had dirt in his teeth, okay? I still remember that. And it was like everything went in slow motion. This is awesome. And it was, if it was in a movie, like a camera went above me and did like a 360 degree turn and I heard the still small voice of the Lord saying, this is what I want you to do. Help people love me and love others. And I was a youth pastor then for 11 years. Sarah and I loved youth ministry. We loved hanging out with the high school kids. We loved the energy that they had. We loved being able to teach them about Jesus and life and love. And then we loved being taught by them, okay? In our youth ministry years, they taught us a ton. Uh, Leslie Newbigin said this, I do not suggest that the church goes into the world as the body with nothing to receive and everything to give. We received so much from these teenagers that we were ministering to over the years. And youth ministry has changed a bit, okay? I've been out of it now for a decade. The world has changed so much since then. And all of these changes have had an effect on our kids and on our teens. I'm 41 now, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of go back to when I was first involved in youth ministry in the early 1990s and see if we can get just a bit nostalgic, okay, about some of the things we had back in the day, okay? How many of you guys drew this design on your binders and your folders? Okay, if you did, you're my people. Okay, some of you guys have no idea what picture this is, okay? Our biceps were so much stronger in the 1990s because when it was hot outside, we had to deal with these, okay? And then here's a picture of a hard disk or a floppy disk. I don't know why they were called similar things. Um, it could hold 2.8 megabytes. And then finally, this disk man, this was a 90s iPod, okay? This was a CD player, okay? Even my references are outdated because iPods stopped being made like five years ago, okay? Things have changed, and believe it or not, being a teenager is hard. And Addison has done an incredible job with our youth here at Prodigal Church, and we have a huge heart for young people. We see so much value in investing in the next generations, and our vision for the student ministries here at Prodigal is big, and it has been amazing to see our students grow. Uh, the teenage years are unique. There's nothing like them in our lifetimes. They are uniquely difficult, 
And for those of you who are struggling through your teenage years, or those of you who are struggling as a parent to teenagers, there is hope. God is with you. This is a season. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 31 says this. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the younger son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. It's a simple teaching, right? It's not about what you say, it's about what you do, okay? Jesus is on to something here. He knows that later becomes never. Okay, I'll say it again. Later becomes never. Teachers know this. A student will say, well, I'll do that assignment tomorrow or I'll do it next week. Uh, that assignment is never getting done. Okay, parents, you know this truth as well, right? Later becomes never. Chris, I need you to take the trash out. No, mom, I just wanna eat my quesadilla. Chris, right now. No, mom, later. You see, moms know this truth. Later becomes never. Now, uh, let's do this word picture, okay? Pause for a moment. Is God calling you to do something? And I just want you to go kind of back in time, okay? Picture yourself in your high school bedroom. Whatever music you listened to back then, it's playing on the CD player or the radio, or for some of you, the record player. Okay, you've got posters of your favorite bands or movies on the walls. Okay, is everybody there? Are you sitting on your bed, your high school bed? Okay, you're on your bed and a voice from the kitchen calls out over the music through the locked door and the voice asks you to do some kind of chore. What do you yell back? Be right out in a minute. It's someone else's job, okay? Or leave me alone. Now, in a very real sense, you are still that teenager, except your distractions are not video games or MTV or talking on the phone with your friends. No, your distractions are money, addictions, career advancement, it, retirement. And the voice you hear is not your mom or dad yelling from the kitchen. No, but the voice is of your creator who knows you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. And he's not asking for a chore. He's asking for you. What will you say back to him while being surrounded with your distractions? You see, the times have changed but we're still stuck and later becomes never. How will you respond? Now, contrary to what we as parents think, being a teenager is very difficult these days, okay? Dr. Robert Leahy is a cognitive behavioral therapist. He said this, that the average high school kid has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Okay, if your teenager was around in the 50s, they would be admitted, okay? Average adolescents take in 10,000 messages per day. I just don't think our brains were meant to do that. 
The latest nationwide survey reported that 94% of college students in America say that the number one word they use to describe their life would be overwhelmed. 44% say that they're so overwhelmed it's difficult to function. One in 10 have thought about suicide. Life isn't supposed to look that way. Our teenage years, they're supposed to be some of the best years. And we see these trends in music. Music actually reflects and directs our culture. We'll be looking at that in the next several weeks through our vinyl series. But in music, uh, it signal back what is happening, but it will also direct the narrative in our head. Okay? And the narrative in the heads of teenagers today is different than it was 28 years ago. Okay? For example, let's just go back uh, 18 years. Okay? You remember in 2004, the Black Eyed Peas uh, released their song, Let's Get It Started. Okay? Uh, it's a good jam, and if you watch the music video, it's a bunch of young adults, all different colors, dancing in the streets. Life is a party. Okay, you fast forward a decade, okay, 2015, a band called 21 Pilots, who's really got their finger on the pulse of this generation, wrote a song called Stressed Out. And this song is such a picture of what is going on, okay? Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mamas sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. And the music video is this lead singer riding a big wheel at 25 years old into mama's house wishing he could turn back the clock. Uh, the beginning of the song, he says, I was told when I got get older, all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. What are we modeling as adults? And what are they idolizing that leads to this? Stress, anxiety, it's not just our kids and our teenagers that have some growing up to do, right? A group of behavioral therapists did a research experiment with young children. And it was a simple experiment where the researcher would hold up a blue piece of paper and ask the children, what color are you looking at? And they would say blue. And then uh, they would flip the paper to the opposite side and say, what color are you looking at? and they would say orange. And then they flip it again and say, what color are you looking at? And they'd say blue. And then they flip it again and say, what color are you looking at? And they would say orange. Then they would pause and they would say, now pay attention, pay attention. What color am I looking at? And they found that the kids would always say what they were looking at. They would say blue. And you'd repeat it one more time, you'd say, what color Am I looking at orange or blue? And they would say orange. When we are young children, we are incapable of seeing things through another point of view. And as adults, we still refuse to see things through someone else's point of view. It's like once 2020 hit, our culture as a whole just decided, okay, my opinion and my political party's opinion is the only way to look at life. It's the only way to look at things and issues. And this is so hard to do because where you stand depends upon where you sit, okay? Where you stand, where you take a stand depends on where you sit. 
Where you stand is your political party, your positions on social issues, etc. And where you sit is your cultural context, okay? Where you live, who you're related to, how much money do you have? That's where you sit. And where you stand depends on where you sit. It determines what you see, how you see, what you experience, how you see it and interpret it. And this is so true for all of us. And so all we're seeing is orange and all they're seeing is blue. And we can never put ourselves in the shoes of another. We just demonize them for not seeing it our color. And the truth is, we all need to grow up, not just our kids and teens. Okay, now let's, let's, let's lower the temperature a little bit, okay? I know that for some of us, that ruffled our feathers a bit, okay? Have you ever wondered why God designed the world so that the human race multiplies by having babies that take years for them to grow up, to be adults, okay? Why didn't God just design the human race where we multiply like earthworms, okay? One adult splits and then goes to become another adult, okay? He could have done it that way. He could have had us lay eggs, okay? Just little human eggs that we sit on and then we hatch like birds and within a few months or a few weeks, we're kind of operating like adults, okay? We're flying. He could have done it that way. Jesus, God could have done it any number of ways. Why did God ordain that there be children? that take years to grow up, and not just adults. It's because children stand for something. They point to something. They represent something. They point to an innocence and a beauty that we are called to embrace and enact. Children signify something bigger than themselves. They stand for the kind of dependence and helplessness that we need and insufficiency and faith that is required for adults to enter and to experience the kingdom of God. Matthew 19, verse 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. God's heart is for children. So is ours. Here at Prodigal, we place a lot of resources and effort into our PC Kids ministry, and for good reason. Okay, D.L. Moody once returned from preaching a revival meeting and reported that there were two and a half conversions. Someone asked, two adults and one child? And Moody replied, no, two children and one adult. The children gave their whole lives. The adult had only half to give. Our vision here at Prodigal Church doesn't just include kids. No, our vision is for kids. This is why we spend so much time and resources on our kids' ministry, okay? They matter, they're worth it. They are difference makers for the kingdom of God. And we get to learn from them. See, we've gotta keep learning, we've gotta keep maturing, we gotta keep growing. We can't stop learning once we finish school. And our kids become our greatest teachers. I read of a father who went to counseling because he was struggling with his relationship with his children. And in the counseling session, over and over again, he kept commenting, I just sacrifice so much for them. I work so hard for them. It's all for them. Everything is for them. And the counselor didn't know if it was the Holy Spirit or if he just got a little tired of hearing what the dad was saying. But he asked the dad this question. 
Would you go to work if you didn't have kids? And the dad said, well, yeah. Then he said, would you go to that particular job if you didn't have kids? And he again said, well, yeah, I, I love my job. And he said, would you work as hard as you did if you didn't have kids? He said, well, yeah, probably so. And then the counselor said, well, that's not a sacrifice. It's not a bad thing, but you can't count it a sacrifice if you do it anyway, if you didn't have children. It's a sacrifice when you do what you don't want to do for the benefit of others, okay? Kids don't care about your job. They just want to play with you. They just want to be with you. Sometimes we think, well, because I worked all day, I get out of playing with them. Well, you would have gone to work anyway. Okay? It's not a sacrifice. Uh, 19th century political figure, diplomat, Charles Francis Adams, kept a journal every day. And one day he entered, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. And his son, Brooke Adams, also kept a journal, which is actually still in existence today. And on that same day, Brooke Adams made this entry. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. You see, the father thought he was wasting time while fishing with his son, but his son saw it as investing time. Time wasted versus time invested. What's the difference? It's the same amount. The difference is purpose. If you invest in a child, it's not time wasted. I really believe this, that, that children matter. Children teach us something. I really believe that something supernatural happens when a baby laughs, right? Everybody smiles. Even the most stone-hearted at least grin, okay? It melts us. I'm convinced that when a baby laughs, all of heaven rejoices. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. According to Jesus, it behooves us not only to minister to children, but to become more like them, more childlike in our faith, less jaded, less cynical, less negative, more trusting, stronger in our faith. For more than 30 years, Gordon McKenzie worked at Hallmark. Along with challenging corporate normalcy at the card company, McKenzie did a lot of creative workshops at elementary schools. And in those, uh, McKenzie would always ask the kids up front, how many artists are there in the room today? And the pattern of responses never varied. In the first grade, the entire class waved their arms like maniacs. Every child was an artist. In the second grade, about half the kids raised their hands. And in third, he'd get about 10 out of 30. And by the time he got to sixth grade, only one or two kids would tentatively, very self-consciously, raise their hands. All of the schools that he went to seemed to be involved in something that he called the suppression of the creative genius. And they weren't doing it on purpose, 
but society's goal seems to be to make us look less foolish. And McKinsey reiterates, from the cradle to the grave, the pressure is on. Be normal. After his research, he came to the conclusion that there was a time, perhaps when you were very young, perhaps uh, you had the least fleeting notion of your own genius and you were waiting for some authority figure to come along and validate it for you, but none ever came. What am I trying to say? Maybe we were onto something back then. Maybe there was so much more truth, uh, honesty in our spirit when we were kids. Would you as a child be proud of you as an adult? That could just be a haunting question for many of us. We need to get back to that innocence, that dependence, that, that beauty. We must be childlike in our trust in Jesus. What does it mean to become a child, to encounter and experience the kingdom of God? Wonder, questions, awe, joy, beauty, living in the moment, a dependence on someone or something bigger than yourself. Are there any adults listening right now that you need to become a bit more childlike? What is Jesus calling you to? When the railroads were first introduced to the United States, some folks feared that they would be the downfall of the nation. Here's an excerpt from a letter written to then President Jackson, dated from January 31st, 1829. As you may know, Mr. President, in quotations, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speeds. Signed, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. There will always be seasons of great change, whether it is 1829 or 1999 or 2020. There will always be great change, a huge difference between the generations. But Jesus is still calling us to something now because later becomes never. Jesus is still calling us to maturity, to growth. And seeing through the eyes of someone much different than ourselves. There's an old saying, my great-grandfather rode a horse, but was afraid of the train. My grandfather rode a train, but was afraid of a car. My father rode in a car, but was afraid of an airplane. I ride in an airplane, but I'm afraid of a horse. There is change, but it's a bit circular, isn't it? I am now as old as my parents were when I was in junior high. Okay? That's impossible because my parents were super old back then, right? Change is inevitable. What is God calling you to do? Don't wait because later becomes never. God, I pray that we would respond to your voice, that whatever you are calling us to do, God, that we would take that step of faith and that we would do it because later becomes never. Help us in this, Jesus. Help us to become less jaded, 
less cynical, less negative, more childlike, more trusting in you and following your lead, God. Help us help the world not to suppress the creative genius within who you created us to be. God, we thank you for our kids' ministry at Prodigal. We thank you for our, our youth. God, bless them in their ministries, God, and help these kids grow to make a great difference in your kingdom. May they bring it on earth as it is in heaven, and may we be like them. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Uh, next week is end of summer Sunday, and so we're gonna have a taco truck and some water slides. It's gonna be great. We would encourage you to come in person. And also, uh, it's the first week of our vinyl sermon series, Classic Truth, Classic Tunes, and it's gonna be an absolute blast. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.